Amen to that. Let's pray. God. Oh, we desperately need you. We want your word that is um, that we hear today to fall on good ground in our lives. And so, God, we need you because you're the only one that can prepare the ground of our hearts so that your word will take root and bear much fruit in our life. So God, do this as we listen and reflect on your word together as a community. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> as I said um, previously in our study in the book of Acts, we looked at how Peter and John responded to the interrogation and threats from the Jewish authorities. They basically told Peter and John to stop sharing the gospel. Peter and John um, respond to their threats in this way. And so if you go back to um, 19, actually, you don't need to go to 419, but I'll read it. This is how Peter and John responded to their threats. Um, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to your um, to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard, for we cannot but help <laughs> but speak of what we have seen and heard. That was their response before um, the Sanhedrin, the Jewish um, authorities that had gathered to interrogate them and threaten them. And so um, not knowing what to do about this response, the Jewish leaders released Peter and John from custody and they warn them strongly in 418. They say to them, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And so they let them go. And um, we're going to be finding out what happens after this. But before we do, I just want to talk about persecution. Persecution is when we experience hostility and ill treatment for our faith in Jesus Christ. Whether you live in America or the UK or anywhere in the world, you will experience some form of persecution. In his article titled, Are Christians in America Persecuted? Author Kevin DeYoung um, argues that yes, Christians believe it or not, Christians in America are persecuted, but not as frequently, consistently, or with nearly the intensity that Christians are persecuted in other parts of the world. And he grounds his whole, of course, grounds his whole argument in passages like John fifteen twenty, and if you're familiar with it it says this is Jesus speaking he says remember the word that I said to you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you Kevin DeYoung also uses 2 Timothy 
3.13 to prove um, his point that Christians everywhere are persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.13 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While martyrdom and extreme suffering is a special category set aside for a select number of Christians, persecution is the normal experience of every Christian everywhere. Kevin Dion goes on to say, from stiff fines to family shame to being kicked off college campuses to laws against sharing our faith to unjust trials to public mockery and scorn to arrest and brutality. If we faithfully follow Jesus in this world, we all will face persecution at some point in our Christian discipleship. And I think he's absolutely right. <laughs> he really is. If we faithfully, and the key word there is faithfully, if we faithfully follow Jesus in this world, we all will face persecution at some point in our Christian discipleship. And I'm sure some of you um, have experienced this. You have experienced some form of persecution. All right, it may not be extreme suffering or anything, but you may have experienced some form of persecution. All right, whether it's mockery or scorn, um, whatever it is, um, um, you know, at some point in your Christian discipleship. And so, as our culture becomes more and more hostile towards Christianity, it's important for us to know how to respond. We don't just need more good ideas or practical advice on how to respond to persecution. Um, we're not gonna need more gifted communicators or debaters or Christian intellectuals, and we need more of them, they're awesome. But what we need most to be effective, right, to effectively respond to persecution um, is none of, you know, these practical things I just mentioned. But what we need, right, um, is revealed to us in this passage for today. We are to respond with prayer and not just any kind of prayer this passage we're going to study this morning not only shows us what to do when we face persecution and that is to pray but we're also supplied with how to specifically pray when we are overwhelmed with persecution and so how should we right as a church pray when we're faced with persecution because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ. First, we must begin prayer by reflecting on God's rule over his creation. Look at verse 23. It says, 
when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And so as soon as Peter and John were released, they returned um, to the community of believers. And as you can imagine, as soon as they arrived, they give a full report of everything that had happened the day before the healing of the lame beggar the positive response to the gospel because they preached the gospel and loads of people began you know believed and so they're sharing all of these things and then they go on to share how the Jewish leaders threatened them with severe consequences if they continued to speak about Jesus and let me just stop here it's just to give some application. It's um, Peter and John, what they did was they brought their burden of their persecution and hardship to the church. All right. This was not their because this was not their burden to carry alone. It was a threat against the church itself. Um, and this is helpful for us to remember any time we experience any opposition, any any hardship, right? We will do well and it will be in our best interest um, to bring in and invite our church community um, to, 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 to just be with us. And we want to be able to share and process it with our church community. And so as soon as they heard Peter and John's report, um, the community of believers, what they do is they turn to God in prayer. Look at verse 24. Um, verse 24 it says and when they heard it they lifted their voices to to God and said sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them stop right there so uh, when we pray normally when you pray the first thing you probably do is address God using one of his many names or titles. We all do that, all right? And we're communicating with an existential being, so we address him using a name or a title. Um, and because there are many names for God, we all address him with different names, okay? And this makes a lot of sense because, um, um, you know, because we're communicating with God. Um, and so some of us, when we um, engage in conversation with God, we might just simply refer to him as God. You know, other times um, some people refer or address God as father or daddy, right? Or Lord or Lord God um, or savior or king. I love Lord God because Whoever uses Lord God throughout the whole time they pray, they repeat it over and over and over again. And I've heard that before. <laughs> um, but that, that's kind of what we do. OK, we address God using one of his names and titles. The believers who have gathered to pray do the same thing. Before they get into the content of their prayer, they address God using one of his names. They choose to refer to him as Sovereign Lord, as Sovereign Lord. And this is unique, right? 
and a rare and unique way to address God. But it totally makes sense because to say that God is sovereign is to say that he rules over all things. That is, God has complete control over everyone and everything. And this is what the Bible teaches about God. And the reason God is sovereign, right, he, he, he has complete control over everything, is because he's the creator of all that exists. That's why in our passage for today, after addressing God as sovereign Lord, um, the, the believers who have gathered to pray go on to attribute the creation of the world to him. Okay, look at verse 24 again. Verse 24 again. Um, it says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Okay, there's no better way to begin prayer than reflecting on who God is to reflect on his extraordinary power in creation and his sovereign control and rule over his creation is the perfect start to any prayer meetings and so from this what we learn about God is that he rules over the world he created and for the newly formed christian community in jerusalem they needed to begin prayer in this way and the reason they needed to begin prayer by reflecting uh, on who god is is because they've just been informed about a ban that prohibits them from sharing the gospel and being reminded that God rules over his creation must have greatly encouraged them as they faced persecution. And for us, King's Cross Church, we <clears throat> need to begin our, our prayer, our times of prayer, whether corporately or individually, by acknowledging that God rules over the world he created if the first way where to pray when we face persecution is to reflect on god's rule over his creation the second is to reflect on god's control of everything look at verses 25 to 26 it says who through the mouth of our father david your servant said by the holy spirit why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? And the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were together, uh, were, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. But some of you are thinking, what is happening here? It's all going to make sense. Just give me time, okay? And give me your focus. <laughs> yes, all right. If you've been a Christian for a while and you know your Bible well, the verses we just read should be very familiar to you because they are a direct quote from the first two verses of Psalm 2. 
written by David. The psalm itself is known as a royal psalm and it was probably originally composed for the coronation of a king. It's basically about how um, the other kings and rulers of the world um, have formed this coalition against God's anointed king. But as we read this psalm, you probably noticed how it views the rage and plot from hostile rulers as vain. Right. And what that means is uh, their, their plots and their rage and their hostility is futile. It's without power. It's vain. What this then means is that despite the rage and the plot from enemies of the king, God promises to protect the king and give him victory over his enemies as he assumes the throne. The believers who have gathered and now are knee deep in prayer quote this verse after reflecting on God's rule over his creation to also recognize God's control of everything. For God to be in control of everything means he's in complete control of everything that happens in his world and because he's in complete control of everything that happens in his world that must mean that God not only God is not only in control of the good in the world but evil as well this is why it's important to not only reflect on God's rule over his creation and his control of everything when we respond to persecution with prayer but it's important for us to also reflect on his good and wise purposes his good and wise purposes okay as we pray in the face of persecution we must reflect we must also reflect on god's good purposes in other words god is not only in control of everything that takes place in his world but he actually uses all things good or bad for his good purposes and the next part of the prayer helps us see this all-important truth look at verse 27 carefully it says for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel and so what's happening they've quoted this ancient psalm right about kings and how how people are rulers and kings are plotting and raging against kings and then they start talking about Jesus what this means this should all be making sense because after quoting Psalm 2 what they do next is that they interpret it in light of recent events and for them that was the recent events surrounding the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and so in this part of the prayer what they're basically saying is that love the sovereign lord 
These things described in this ancient psalm many generations ago really happened when Herod, Pontius Pilate, and non-Jewish people and the Jewish people all came together against Jesus right here in Jerusalem. For the believers at that time, Psalm 2 is full of meaning and relevance for their situation. They have witnessed a psalm that was written many generations ago, fulfilled in their generation. But as comforting as this was, it gets even more awesome for them. Let's take another look at verse 28. It says, To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. If we so, and so if we put verses 27 and 28 together, this is what it's showing us. It's showing us that Jesus' death and everything and everyone involved was an event that happened as a result of what God had decided beforehand. This means Herod and Pilate and anyone else involved in crucifying Jesus were simply instruments in God's hand. As awesome and as deep and as mind-blowing as this was, the main reason they choose to reflect on these truths in their prayer is to be reminded of God's good purposes. That is, God's plan did not only involve the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus, but it also involved his resurrection and exaltation. The same God of creation who spoke the universe into existence, the sovereign Lord who rules over his creation and controls everything, is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. When we encounter persecution, it will be very tempting for us to question God's greatness and goodness. But it will be truths like these, the fact that God rules over his creation and he has complete control over every situation and that he works all things for his good purposes. These are the truths that will sustain us in the throes of opposition and persecution. And so if you've noticed, after an extended time of reflecting on God, okay, they, they begin this prayer, okay, they, they've just been told they are prohibited to sharing about Jesus, um, and they spend the majority of their time acknowledging and reflecting on who God is, right? And this is prayer, and this is incredible, okay? They, they, they haven't asked God for anything yet. They're just spending the time meditating and reflecting on the goodness and greatness of God. And so after this extended time, um, they transition 
to petition, to ask God for what they need. Look at verse 29. It says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Notice the request. Notice what they ask for. They didn't ask for wisdom. Um, they didn't ask for protection or favor with the authorities. It wasn't, Lord, we pray, Lord, sovereign, you can do this. You can strike these persecutors down and God just help, just cause them to die horribly or something. No, it wasn't any of that. Or it wasn't, Lord, please put a stop to this persecution. Or it wasn't, please, God, convert the authorities so that your work can go forward. It was none of these. Rather, what they asked for after an in in-depth reflection of who God is after what they asked for was this Lord take care of their threats so we can focus on sharing your gospel boldly they pray for the same courageous boldness to proclaim the gospel that Peter and John demonstrated when they were interrogated by the Jewish authorities. That's just incredible. This is incredible to me. Here they are, okay, restricted by the government, and they are praying that God would give them boldness to continue to do the thing that would intensify the persecution they're already facing. Finally, they pray for more miraculous signs to accompany their bold and faithful evangelism. Look at verse 30. It says, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Okay? Again, they are thinking missionally here because the healing of the lame beggar earlier, and we've looked at that, had given Peter and John the opportunity to explain the significance of Jesus, the Messiah, to a large crowd. You remember when the lame beggar who had been lame for 40 years finally was able to walk and praise God. People surrounded him and asked him, how did you get healed? And he pointed to Peter and John and they went to Peter and the crowds went to Peter and John and asked them what happened. And they said, this guy was healed by Jesus, basically, by Jesus. And so this is why in verse 30, they are making their request. This is why they're asking for God to perform more healing, more signs and more wonders. In asking for this, right, they in asking for this, they are praying for more miracles to happen, which will lead to further opportunities to proclaim the good news of Jesus, the Messiah and Savior. And so after an extended time of reflection on who God is in prayer, 
they requested boldness to share the gospel and miraculous signs to open up more opportunities for the gospel. And so in a nutshell, when faced with persecution, the church prayed for perseverance, not protection. Ross Ramsey, who's an author, said this. They prayed that their passion would be stronger for his glory than for their comfort. What they asked for was shaped by what, by what they knew about God. Reflecting on who God is, is foundational for a powerful time of prayer. An understanding of who God is, is the foundation for our requests and faith to believe he will answer. And as a church family, living in a modern world in San Diego, we should follow in the footsteps of the early church. Okay? And I don't think you know, we shouldn't wait for extreme persecution in order to pray this way. Um, I strongly believe our prayers, when we pray, should follow a similar model. Right? We should spend a good amount of time reflecting on who God is. Yes, God wants to hear our request and there are times and God invites us to in, you know, engage with prayer and begin to ask for what we need. Absolutely. But what if we spend a good amount of time in prayer reflecting on who God is and what he's done? Maybe what we end up asking for will be more in line with God's will um, for us. Um, I love, there's a passage in the psalm and I hope I don't butcher it. It's not in my notes. Um, it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I was young and I was single, um, I was all about that passage. I was like, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to do this and that. Just like delight myself in God. And God's going to give me the desire of my heart, which was my, you know, which was a wife, uh, you know. But as I studied that passage um, a bit more, it basically is talking, it's saying the same thing. The more we delight in God, the more he gives us the desires of our hearts because what we have what will happen when we delight in god is that our desires will become his desires for us okay it's incredible um and so that's what's happening here and this is wow this is this is encouraging in so many ways um we should follow in their footsteps um, in diving deeper and one of the ways I personally do this is that I use scripture to pray I, I read psalms I, you know there's, there's so many incredible psalms and you take a psalm a day and just pray it and what you will see is that most of the psalms which are ancient collections of poems and prayers um, they, 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 they lead you in exalting who God is and throughout our service beginning of our service today it was awesome for us to just spend some time and praise God okay for who he is and what he's done in our lives and when we do that in prayer um, in magnifying God, it shapes what we ask for, and it's amazing to see this church. Like if if I if 
um, I, I never knew what happened and we didn't read it. And I only knew the fact that there was persecution um, beginning to um, um, hit the church. I, I reckon I would might, you know, how I would respond would be to just in prayer would be God help, <laughs> you know, God kill them all or something. But when you spend a good amount of time really rooting yourself in who God is, it just shapes what you ask for. It just really does that. And so after they were all done, back to our story, after we were, they were all done with praying, we're told in verse 31 of an immediate answer to prayer. Look what happens in 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken um shaken um if you um if you look through the old testament when god ever uh, manifested himself or his presence was in a place there was shaking going on and so it's you know for 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 the place they had gathered together to shake was god affirming that he was with them and he was confirming and um agreeing with what they were praying for and it also says and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Thomas Wright says this, the church, King's Cross Church, for example, needs to learn in every generation what it means to pray with confidence like this. We do not go looking for persecution, but when it comes in whatever form, it certainly concentrates the mind sends us back to the scriptures and casts us on God's mercy and power. The church needs again and again that sense of God's powerful presence, shaking us up, blowing away the cobwebs, filling up with the spirit and giving us that same boldness. And so King's Cross Church, as our culture becomes more and more hostile, towards our faith it's important to know how to respond as a church family on mission with Jesus in San Diego we don't need more ideas or practical advice on how to respond we don't need more gifted communicators and debaters and intellectuals we don't need aggression and outrage we don't need to have that fight fire with fire mentality we don't need more placards to go outside um, public places to protest we don't need any of that what we need is to reflect on the goodness and grace and greatness of God in passionate prayer so that we can keep calm and carry on with our purpose of being a church family on mission with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this reminder. May it not leave our minds. May it not leave our hearts. Um, God, we know from, for example, the parable of the sower that it's easy for um, what is sown in our hearts to be um, crowded or drowned out 
by the many distractions and the many cares of the world. But God, I pray that as we prayed in the beginning, you did give us good hearts um, and that what we reflected on this morning has fallen on the good ground of our hearts. And God, we can't wait to see the fruit. We can't wait to see the fruit. God, protect Father, protect this word and your truth in our hearts and just through the power of your spirit, may it bear much fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.